0: We have a membership meeting this afternoon after service. It shouldn't take too long because there's not a whole lot of stuff on the agenda, but it is important that we can talk about things that pertain to us as members and regular attenders of the United Fellowship Baptist Church. And as we pray this morning, we'll lift up some folks. We've got some folks' sickness going around and folks that were trying to be here and are trouble doing that. And uh, first one Okay, Quick. Okay. 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 Now, for Tony. So um, the word is promotion. You know what it means? You
1: promote. And I think that song just said, Jesus, live the life to shout your faith. And I was really just waiting to see what the Lord wanted to do. And so promote your ministries. Promote what we're doing. I have a friend, that, a brother in the Lord that was in the same church I was at. He's going through a lot of time. It, back in the day, I'd have to have a horse. I'd have to walk and get a letter to my brother. take three days. But I get to say, hey, check out our podcast. And he's listening to it, and he gets to hear the truth. Now, I want you to understand that it's not easy promoting love and goodness when you have a heart so full of love, when people are rude and disrespectful. But what were we when we were first, when we were saved? The disciples that Jesus had were zealots. Those were called assassins. They assassinated people. Killers, thugs, the uh, the fishermen weren't always nice. People were disrespectful. Look at John and James, the sons of thunder. They wanted to burn down a village. They were not nice people. But when you reach out, when you promote what we're doing here, listen, we are all gems to this crowd. Every one of us is a nugget to the treasure. I mean, you guys, the and talking to all you guys. Every one of your ministries is so important right now. And Amen. if you don't start plugging them, I'm going to start plugging them. You're going to wonder why we're all these people are going to start coming. Because people are hungry. People right. want to hear the truth. And if it, it's—and it, I know people are going to try to take advantage of not man about that. It's about the people are, we're going to find out who really, really wants to be saved, who really, really wants to live for Jesus. And if we don't start promoting it, I'm gonna finish with this because I can tell you, it's the word. Jesus, when he got baptized, I was gonna do a bunch of a quick announcement. Jesus got baptized, and the first thing he was driven to the desert. What's the next thing he did? Perform miracles? No, he promoted. The kingdom is heaven. The kingdom of heaven is near hand. Repent, believe in the good news. The kingdom of heaven is near hand. Repent, believe, just start telling everybody. Walking villages, and that they would come to him. And then there would be miracles. There would be signs. There would be wonders, and God would speak to them. But he promoted it. So it's in you to promote this. You can't. I can't share your ministry because you have a great testimony. You all have a great testimony that I could never have. My testimony is excited because I'm excited. Jesus saved me at 23. I was dead in my life, dead, dead, going to hell. And no one even told me except a 70-year-old man decided to say, I don't know this guy, but I'll do what God says. I would have died at 22, 21, 16, 5, 4. I see God, and I'm like, okay. I didn't know I was going to hell. It doesn't matter. God's wrath is there. It's nothing I can do. Jesus saved me through that person. You have a testimony. You have to, if you don't want to share the glorious things you have every day, I share people with the music I have, the things I hear. We have an app. Share the app. It's working. Now. It's awesome. awesome app, by the way. Websites. I, and just real quick, a quick testimony. Two people that I was scared to walk up to down the street, people I would have never walked up to. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Shaking as I can, so they're gonna kill me. They're gonna beat me up. You know, not saying they're going to. But I'm scared, very scared, intimidated. Walk up and I just say, "Hey, uh, just wanna let you know we deliver groceries over here. It's our four one nine two four two three three four zero. And uh And they're like, "Hey, thanks." And like, they did not want me to come up at their car and talk to them. But as soon as I started rejoicing and sharing the Lord Jesus, they're like, "Hey, what's your church?" and stuff. And they're like, "It's almost like you can't take the thug, you can't take the heart, the hurt, the bitterness out of a person until you share the truth." Until you share hope, they're not going to let go because they have nothing to give into. They have nothing to have. We have to do this. You don't. If you don't want to. You don't. But we have to do this. Promote. That's my word. Promotion. Promote your ministry. Promote everything that you have. Let's do it.
2: All right. Let's pray together, and then we'll worship God. I'll just a request. My uncle, Art, yep. has been in the hospital. Yep. He's been in the hospital for a couple weeks now with pneumonia. He got it, got over it, and got it again. And according to my mom, I got comfortable yesterday, he's at the point now to where he's getting up. He's We've been through a lot the last several months, we need to pray for hope. But yeah. he essentially told her, don't expect any miracles on dying. We'll pray God can turn that around. Okay, did you have your hand up, Miracle? All
0: right, let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a giving God. You have loved us. You have strengthened us. You have encouraged us. You've given us passion. You've given us energy. Lord, you've blessed us with love in our lives, family members and friends and church members who are united, who care about one another. You've blessed us with finances. You've blessed us with a roof over our head. You've blessed us with a place to worship. You've blessed us with sunshine, even on the days when it's cold. Lord, you blessed us with fresh air. You blessed us with freedom. You just the list just goes on and on and on. You've been given forever since before we were here. And then the reality is, Lord, we have misused some of those great blessings. Failed to do some of the things that we should. Failed to be strong like we could. Or we confess our weakness to you. We ask your forgiveness. We're grateful that we're taught and we understand in our heart of hearts that forgiveness is available for all sins through Jesus Christ who died upon the cross. Lord, I thank you for every person that made it here today, every person that overcame barriers and difficulties to do that, every person that had in their heart to be here but didn't make it. Thank you for all those who were in the app this week or on the podcast or listening on Facebook or on their Alexa in their living room. Father, I thank you that our church, which, by some human standards, not very big, is actually very big. And in the kingdom of God, we are a tool that you can use. I well, thank you that our key verse, 1 John 1, 3, and it simply says that we proclaim what we have seen and heard. Lord, that we've got a story to tell, that we have seen and we have heard. We praise you, Lord, that you called us to that, that we would share... Well, we need your courage, we need your strength, we need your wisdom to know exactly when to speak up and what to do. Lord, I think there's almost no time that we couldn't bring up the awesome things that you've done and glorify you. We intend to sing songs of praise to you today, Lord. We intend to stand and sit, to work together to study your word. Teachers uh, in the children's department have prepared. Children have come expecting to learn about Jesus. Lord, I hope we've all come expecting today. Father, I thank you for being our God. The truth is, Lord, we need you every moment of every day, including right now. Would you take over this service. Use every strum of every string and every push of every button and every pass of every plate, and every encouraging word. We talk about what we've seen in the scripture this week. And as we read the Bible and learn from you and hear it from your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you work in this place? We pray this in Jesus' precious name. you.
2: Alright, stand up, stretch a little. We're going to move around a bit.
3: We're
2: going to dance and praise and enjoy the beautiful weather.
3: <coughs> it's warm, but it's not hot
2: in here. Not yet. <laughs>
0: this last week because we had our special Easter service program going on. And so maybe you think last week prepared to share. Maybe you're prepared to share today. I hope so. How have you been studying your Bibles? What have you seen? What have you heard? Even as you were walking and God sort of said to you in your spirit, the Holy Spirit spoke to you and said hey, pay attention. There's something I want you to see. Um, what do you got? Um, so wants
2: to the drug. Uh So there was a me and the kids have been watching that, the show Forge and Fire, uh-huh. a really cool show, and they make knives and swords and stuff, It's really cool. And but there's something that I found really interesting in the show, and it's how you test the sharpness of a knife. So if a lot of people would say, well, it could, if some, if it could cut through wood, it's obviously sharp, but if you look at like an actual like axe that chops wood, mm-hmm. they're not that sharp. They're not as sharp as like a utility knife or something like that. Right. And the reason is is because it has to have a thicker edge so it can do more of chopping. Right. And it brought to the mind of having the right tool for the job. And for us as a Christian, the right tool for our job is the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything... Come on, sit down. We can't do anything without the help of Jesus. And when we look at our toolbox of stuff that we need as a Christian, that should be the first thing we go to. And it's a very important tool because Jesus' Holy Spirit will give you the strength to carry out the stuff that He tells you to do. Um, but like I said... There's other parts of it, too. We also have to have the Bible. Because without the Word, we don't have the wisdom. And there's also... We have to have our faith. Because without faith, all the works we do are dead. Mm -hmm. So we have to look at it from... I guess this is the way I look at it is... Because I'm a mechanic, I have a bunch of tools. But I use all of those tools. And as a Christian, we are provided so many tools from God our own gifts, our own abilities. We are provided so many things from God that we can use. But what we fail to do is we fail to use all of them. Mm -hmm. We want to hone in on one specific thing, one specific tool, but in reality you have this giant toolbox full of different things that you can do. Instead of trying to grow and put all of your blood, sweat, and tears into one specific thing, you have to learn how to expand your horizon grow from there mm-hmm. and use all of your abilities. Use all of your gifts because you might find out that something you do is better than what you think you're good
0: at. Yeah. good, good Alright, who else? yes Chris. Do have the video? There, You got a video? The internet's not working. Right uh, so the internet down. is down, so that would be, you no. Know, we could get audio from your phone if we need to. But. Okay, Uh well,
3: I guess I could just read this on.
0: Okay, let's do that.
3: Alright, so there's a song um, It's an old song by Simon and Garfunkel And then now George does it
2: Oh, I love that which
3: song I like Disturb's version better But yes, you know, me too. I like the video better <laughs> no. So it says Hello darkness, my old friend I've come to talk to you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted In my brain still remains Within the sound of silence in restless dreams, I walked alone, narrow streets of cobblestone. Neat the halo of a street lamp, I turned my collar to the cold and damp. When my eyes were stabbed by the flash of a neon light that split the night and touched the sound of silence, and in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never shared, and no one dared disturb the sound of silence. Fools, said I, you don't know, silence like a cancer grove. Hear my words so I may teach you, take my arms so I may reach you. But my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence, and the people bowed and prayed to the neon god they made. And a sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming. Then the sign said, the words on the, of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls and whispered in the sound of silence. So, to me, this obviously is not a Christian song, it's a secular song. But it goes to show something that we are laughing in society today. So I text out, what's the first, uh, what do you think of when you hear the word word intimacy?
2: Most people said
3: sex. (laughs) Which is not surprising because that's what people think of when they think of intimacy. But there are many aspects of intimacy besides sex. And I'm just going to share four. And the first one is emotional intimacy. Candid, authentic sharing of thoughts and feelings. Being able to tell each other your deepest fears, dreams, disappointments, and most complicated emotions, as well as feeling seen and understood when you do. This is gained by each person refraining from judgment or contempt when the other is sharing. So Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that it is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, for they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You have to be emotional with people. You have to build that emotional intimacy. You build that by texting somebody. You don't build that by just putting something on Twitter or Facebook. It's done face-to-face. Second one, intellectual intimacy. Comfort with communicating beliefs and viewpoints without worrying about potential conflicts. Each person in the relationship has the freedom to think for themselves and believes their opinions are valued instead of feeling pressured to agree. Luke 6.31 I didn't memorize it, sorry guys. treat others the same way you want them to treat you. So, it's okay to have a conversation. It is okay to disagree on whatever point it is. But you have to have the confidence that you can do that without somebody saying, I hate you, I'll never talk to you. You just got to get over that fear and just do it. And the more you talk something out, the more you may find out you're not as far apart as you thought you were. Yeah. Number three, experiential intimacy. Shared experiences lead to inside jokes and private memories that can intensify. Intensify. A connection, the act of teamwork, and moving in unison toward a common goal, like creating an experience, also establishes a feeling of closeness. We're going to go to Ecclesiastes four nine through twelve. Old Testament. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For either of them falls, the other one will lift up his companions. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? If one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. The more we share experiences, the stronger we get. The more we know about each other, the more we know how someone's going to react to something, the, know, the more we can joke about the fact that Pastor Dan doesn't like to have black nail polish on his fingernails. <laughs> If you ever want to know about it, ask them. (laughs) It's these kind of connections that we make, spirits and light together, that we're able to share things. And turn that sharing towards God. The fourth one I have is spiritual intimacy. This closeness forms when you share poignant moments with others through praying and worshiping. It can also be done in other ways too. Like observing the creation of God, observing a sunset, a flower, the beautiful trees, Um, studying together, these are just a couple of ways. I'm sure there's hundreds of ways. And for that, we're going to go to First John, one, one through four. <laughs> What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us, indeed our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ, See things, these things we write, so that our joy may be made complete. Now you're probably wondering, how does this tie into that song. Well, think about it. Without intimacy between people, you turn to darkness. You don't have someone to turn to. Without the intimacy between you and God, you turn to the darkness. All these people are talking and nobody's listening, it says. People are speaking and no one's hearing. It's the way our society is today when you think about it. People talk on the surface. People don't talk about deep things. They don't get deep down. And if we don't do that starting here in the church... Building
0: intimacy between us and between God, how are we going to show the world with all this stuff? All right. That's good stuff. All right, anybody else? I think I, I want to just touch on one thing. I'm not going to share what I was going to share because I'll share it for next week. But Miss um, Chris just shared shared experiences, spiritual intimacy experiential interest, intimacy and stuff. Our inspirational moment, if you go to another church, you will not find anything like this what we're doing right here. Um, and I'll tell you why. I went through Bible college in Lansing and it's, I, I first found it there and then I ran into it very heavily in seminary and I'm, just gonna, I'm being completely transparent with you and that is that pastors do not trust their churches. That's why. Now we have an understanding. If somebody says something that's unbiblical in an inspirational moment, somebody else will correct it. We're working together here, right? So if you stood up and you said, you know, God told me I could be rich if I just do this and this, whatever, we would correct it. We once had somebody stand at an inspirational moment and tell us that that God had told them that they were going to win American Idol, and we corrected it. It's been a long time ago, but it happened. And so the point is, this is us experiencing together. You read something in your Bible, you're not going to find in the Bible God teaching you something that wasn't (laughs) meant for you to share with anybody else. It's not going to happen. It isn't there. A disciple listens to the teachings of the Master and then pro- conveys those teachings to other people. None, zero, absolutely zero amount of your learning from the Bible was meant for you alone. In the least, the fruits that arise out of those teachings were meant for other people. That's in the least. But more likely, you're meant to share whatever it is that you discover. And we get this opening, this opportunity to do that. And so I encourage you today to experience this Christian walk to spend it together. That is what the church is. And you will find untold resources, untold, untapped strength in sharing your thoughts about the Word, your experience, what you've been through, what you're struggling with. I can't tell you the number of times I've felt relief or strength just sharing with somebody what I was feeling. And ironically, I've had a number of people come to me and share what they're going through. And it's a heavy burden. They're going through a heavy burden. And I am kind of empathic, not a spiritual uh, gift type empathic, but I, I feel for people when they're hurting. And after they tell me, normally I hurt, I ache, right? But at the same time, because they shared with me, I felt strength, right? After the fact, I felt rejuvenated and energized because I realized that we're in it together, okay? And so that when I feel like I'm alone, I know I'm not alone because you're with me, because I'm with you when you're feeling like you're alone, and so on. That's what she's talking about. That's part of what the inspirational moment is about. It's also about what singing spiritual songs is about. You look at the New Testament church, that's what he did. So as we worship, which we're about to do again, for those of you who are choosing maybe not to sing or just to kind of meditate on the words, be aware you're missing out on a great experience. You're like, well, I don't sing good. I'm not a good singer. Okay, well, no, I don't sing good either. I'm not a good singer either. Okay? The point is, it's a joyful noise made unified unto the Lord. And when we're unified in doing that, it's experiential. There was a certain Sunday on, uh, on Main Street, when it, the outside on Saturday night, Sunday morning, it just dumped snow. Snow just dumped. We got like, I don't know, 15 inches or something in 20 hours or whatever. And we all, those of us who were like this, the main core group, whatever, like, no, I'm not missing church no matter what, showed up. There we're like three families. About about fifteen people that showed up, and we worshiped God, and it was powerful. It was phenomenal. It was an awesome experience. We had to go outside with shovels before the service and shovel, and it was everybody out there doing that. Just people getting their cars, find a place to put their car, and so on, because it had been stolen right up until before service. That's an experience, and we, we went through it together. Uh, some of you were here were around at that time, right? We've had other experiences, good and bad. Sometimes the bad things happen, okay, and we. we in raising our children together, Ariana. Thank you. We're raising our children together, right? We're kind of airing our dirty laundry. You know, we make mistakes, right? We have issues, but that experiential, experiential intimacy becomes spiritual intimacy, and we together can stand for the Lord. So she's absolutely right on target. This is what we're trying to do with this. And we, that we, every time you see we proclaim, remember the we and we proclaim what we have seen and heard, that we is all of us believers in the local church. It's all of us. And so you're part of the we, so you proclaim. That's who we say we are, and that is who we are. All right? So we're going to pray together at this time, and then we'll worship the Lord a little bit more, and we'll do more of that. I encourage you, if you discover something in Scripture, you come, you say, like, "Well it takes so long. Listen, if we come in here, and the inspirational moment, now, mind you, it's got to be God stuff. But if you come in here and it's God's stuff and it's packed out, then we will shorten or, or, or dismiss the sermon for the day. Or we'll cut songs out of the worship. We'll do what we have to do because this is about speaking for God and hearing from God. That's what it's about. okay? And if you're one you're of those people like, man, I have a hard time listening when somebody else is talking, just figure out, check your heart condition. Figure out why that is. Because a drunk man or a small child or somebody on their deathbed can speak the most profound word of God. And I have been present at all three of those instances. When that happened, and I went, God just spoke. That was powerful. I'll never, I'll never forget it. And I can share those stories with you. We're not going to do that now. But the point is, you can hear the voice of God in the voices of other people. Right, Ariana? We can do that, can't we? Okay. So, Aaron, my brother and my son, would you pray for us as we transition to tithes and offerings and more worship?
2: Sure. to this day. and before, and here, getting us allowing us to still be together in these crazy times in the world. Uh, pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to go out and speak your message into the world. Uh, you know,
4: if, you, if, you, if, you, if
2: you would be true, would be called to go speak to or uh, you know where we're at, I uh, pray that you would you know those of us that are sick, those that couldn't be here, uh, pray for Request those who are sick and hurting and Can you
4: will be
3: enough to help lead, you can stand on the stage and face that way. Come on, let's go. If not, you can stand on the
4: floor and face this way. If you want to help lead, you can stand up in the middle. Don't hit each other when you're doing
2: motions. If you're ever up front trying to do the motions, don't follow me.
4: All right, kids. Let's <laughs> go, kids. Let's go, Let's go, kids. Let's go, kids. Let's go, kids.
0: Let's hope. Insanity or Christianity? You've heard the saying that says that uh, insanity is doing something over and over again, expecting a different result. You realize that now we've been going for nearly 2,000 years since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, awaiting His second coming, that He's coming back again. We have been performing some of the basic functions of the kingdom of God. Uh, Supposedly, (laughs) sometimes maybe we don't do it so well. Loving one another. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Sharing the gospel witness. Telling people about the Christ, the risen Lord. How Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected. We talked last week about uh, from 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel, the essentials of the gospel. Surely someone over the last 2,000 years can be attributed with holding on to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I submit to you that there is a perverted gospel. We talked, to that, talked about that last week. And there are those who have warped and not done what it was that Jesus really told us to do. Not simply been who it was that we were supposed to be in Christ. But surely there are those. Somewhere is a strain of Christianity. I believe that it, it, it leads to this place somewhere there is a strain of Christianity that has continued to be and to do that which Jesus commanded us to be and to do. And I submit to you that by and large, in large numbers, that strain of Christianity, that biblical message that goes back to the basics of what Jesus taught, what He asked the disciples to be, has not seen the fruit that the perverted Gospels have seen, that other methods of the gospel have seen. If if it becomes about money, if it becomes about prosperity, if it becomes about health, when there are miraculous healings, even those miraculous healings may not truly be God healings, it still gathers a crowd. But Christianity, the Christianity that Jesus preached, that if you would follow me, uh, take up your cross daily, deny yourself and come follow after me, the willingness to set aside oneself, to deny oneself one's desires and what one wants in the flesh, to take up the cross, meaning to die if necessary, and to follow Jesus, that that form of Christianity has yielded to some extent the same thing over and over and over again. And it is persecution, a need to persevere, a barely scraping by, struggling, satisfying faith, Yes, I understand people have gotten saved. We wouldn't be here today if somebody hadn't stuck to the gospel and shared the gospel with us. Yes, I understand that people have, I have, in my lifetime, experienced an amazing turnaround because of the gospel. But in reality, the church, while having spread the world wide, has continued to be perverted over the years. Is it insanity? To think that another church, another Christian, another field seeded with the gospel can prosper and grow when so many are not interested in hearing it or are more interested in hearing a perverted gospel or even a completely false religion, a cult? Do you realize that we live in a day at which a man who believes in Allah, which, who is not God, though they will claim he is the same God of Abraham, it is not You read who Allah is, it is not God. That a person who believes in Allah and follows Allah with a fanatic faith will strap on a bomb suit and blow up a coffee shop just to kill 12 people so that they can go to heaven forever and get themselves 23 virgins. But but Christians who believe in absolute certainty and know that they have been saved, born again, will not inconvenience themselves or give beyond what they can are financially able or sacrifice themselves to do what it is that God would really have them to do that so the thought of giving up our job meaning we might not be able to provide for our families might not be able to provide for our food so scares us in comparison to the thought of cults who would go well I'm going to strap on a vest and blow myself, clearly they're not going to have a job the next day. They're not going to take care of their family the next day. And the reality is they're going to hell the next day, but they've believed a lie and therefore are willing to so fanatically commit themselves to the course of action that they will lose their life in doing so. Yet the true faith of Jesus Christ, the following of Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes in, regenerates you and seals you for the day of redemption so that you will one day spend eternity in heaven with God, does, is not, in, by and large, in most cases, seem to be leading people to a fanatic following of Jesus. Insanity or Christianity? We're going to look at a sermon today entitled Going Over, Going On, Going In. And it is an episode in the lives of the disciples as they encounter the risen Christ, who is after Jesus is alive. And I submit to you that there is a lot to be learned about the second coming of Christ from the first coming of Christ. So, if you grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to John chapter 21. Amen. Thank you so much. This is the Word of God. Doesn't matter whether I get it right or not, you listen to Jesus, you listen to the Holy Spirit, you learn and grow from this text. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. So again, you already know, I've already set the context for you, this is a, an appearance of Jesus after His Death, burial, and resurrection. John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way, meaning the way that he's about to describe. The Sea of Tiberias is also known as the Sea of Galilee. Essentially, over there, there's kind of like two big bodies of water. They divide. Uh, really, they are the... the um, let me get this right. The eastern border of the Promised Land. And east of that is not really the promised land, but there were God's people who settled over there because it was a very fertile land, and God allowed that, two of the tribes, and the men of those tribes were required to come across the Jordan and and work and help everybody else get their land before they were allowed to settle, and then they were allowed to settle on the other side of the river, that river which connects these two bodies of water, one of which is the Sea of Galilee. And he manifested himself in this way, verse 2, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them all, "I'm going fishing." And they said to him, "We will also come with you." They went out and they got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And so here they are on the side of the Sea of Galilee, boats available. They got no fish. You have no sustenance really per se, but they've got skill. They can fish. Some of them have been fishermen their whole lives. Some of, them, some of them not so much. But there are fishermen amongst them who have been fishermen their whole lives. They can fish. And so Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they say, all right, we'll go with you. And they get in the boat and they go out on the Sea of Galilee and they begin to fish. But all night long they fish. Now this is net fishing. So you toss a big net, weighted net in the boat with a rope tied to it. Uh, And then as you pull on that rope, it kind of closes the net a little and pulls it up out of the water and the idea is it's supposed to have fish in it. And all night long, they're rowing or partly sailing that little boat or not so little really around the water, tossing the net. And it goes, wait for it to settle down, pull the ropes, haul it up. It's no small task to haul it up anyway, even when it's empty, which probably it was rarely totally empty. There was bits of stuff in it, but never fish. All night long, Let's go try over here, no fish. Let's go try over here, no fish, all night long, and it seems they're literally beating their heads against the brick wall of fishing. Now they've done this before, probably they've fished before without any great results. Don't know that for sure, but it's probably happened. This might be bizarre that they would go all night long with no fish, that is probably peculiar. But in this case, they go all night long Throwing the net in, hauling the net out, maybe more than one net, and they catch nothing. Verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So there they are in the water, and it's dim, of the day is coming, the sun is coming up. There would be mist, fog, if you will. Uh, Visibility would be somewhat limited. And when you first read this, you think that might be why. They don't recognize that it's Jesus. He's over on the shore. There isn't night light. There isn't uh, necessarily a great big moon or low cloud canopy or anything like that. It's dark, but it's just starting to get brighter outside. And there stands a man on the shore. They didn't know that he was Jesus. Verse 5. Jesus therefore said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? Now what's interesting in the original language is that this comment's just a little bit snarky. (laughs) It comes with a little bit of attitude. It's more like, hey, you ain't got no fish, do you? Right? You can think of it like a New Yorker kind of thing. You ain't got no fish, do you? Now, people have read like a ton of stuff into that over the years. You could say, well, what the heck were they doing fishing anyway? Right? They were told to be waiting for him to come so that the, and the Holy Spirit would come on them and they would go and spread the word to all the world. Why are they fishing anyway? Why are they going back to what they used to do? They're not supposed to be fishers of fish anymore, now fishers of men. I mean, there's a lot of things that one could say about it, but the bottom line is he says, you ain't got any fish, do you? And they answered him, no, which is a fact. What are they going to say? No. And then verse 6 says, and he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. Okay. So they've already cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat. That's already happened. They've done it a dozen times all night long, probably more than one net maybe, we don't know for sure. Interestingly enough, if you've ever been out fishing, and I went fishing a number of times when I was younger, I kind of like fishing because I could spend time with people who you're with, but I kind of don't like fishing because as far as I can see is fishing is sitting waiting for your dinner to come, and it's the waiting part that kills me. Uh, I would almost rather eat a square fish on a cheesy bun for McDonald's than wait of a- three, four hours for the first bite. But here's an experience that I've had on more than one occasion, my limited experience with fishing. I have been out fishing, and I have seen someone catching a lot of fish while I am catching none. And in my heart, I said, why are they catching a lot of fish when I am catching none? A couple of times I even said, what bait are you using? And they said, well, it's a worm or it's a fly or this or that. And I I had one fisherman out on the pier out on the lake actually give me one of the same exact flies that he was using. Say, here, try this. One time I went out on the boat with my dad and my brother, and it was just the three of us. We had a little boat my dad had bought back in the day. Went out on the boat, we're out by the water treatment plant out on Lake Erie. And literally every time I put my hook on the water, within about a minute, I would get a fish. Every time I put it in the water. Didn't matter it was down a few feet, down five feet, about ten feet, didn't matter. Put it in the water, and within about a minute, I would get a fish. I'm like, oh, there's another one. I'd reel it in, right? And eventually, I caught my quota. There's a certain amount of fish that you're allowed to catch, and we were, uh, we were going to try to honor that. But my dad had caught, guess what? Zero fish. My dad's on the left side of the boat, we're on the right side of the boat. I caught a fish every one to three minutes and my brother caught a fish about every five minutes. So pretty soon, we have caught 24 fish between the two of us. I think tomorrow was the amount you're allowed or something like that. And we were throwing back little fish and only trying to keep the biggest fish because we were technically not allowed to catch any more fish. And my dad's kind of mad and he goes over and he says, hey, let me in there. And he shoves his way into that spot and he put his hook in the water and we all three of us waited apprehensively until three minutes had passed and then five... And then ten and not a bite. And we're watching my dad with his hook in the water. And he's so for the first three minutes he's expectant. He's like, Okay, here we go, we're gonna catch a fish. And then five minutes he's like, resigned. Ten minutes he was angry. And he said, Now you put your rod back in the water to my brother. So my brother puts his rod back, rod back in the water. Within like two minutes, catches a fish. This is the thing about fishing. Sometimes it's there and sometimes it ain't. You've got to fish all night and not catch anything to know for sure it isn't there. You know what I'm saying? But the fact is, they knew there were fish in the water. They'd fished these waters before. They'd always caught fish before. So is the miracle that they caught no fish? Is that the miracle? The miracle is that they were brought to a moment in time in which they had resignedly said, look, we're not going to catch any fish. The night of fishing is coming to an end. We've done everything that we know to do. We've done it just the way we always did it. And we've caught no fish. And there's a nagging question about whether they should keep fishing, whether they should try again, whether they should march to the nearest town and try to buy loaves of bread with a penny that's in their pocket, whatever. They are at the moment of question. That nagging feeling that I've been abandoned that all my efforts are for naught. And now it's time to either continue or not. And he says, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. Now, again, they've already done that. So you think, as these fishermen are in the boat, that they've ever had a time in the past where somebody else was catching fish and they weren't? And that somebody else said, "We'll try this. Sure, they've been there before. And most of the time, it changed nothing. But here is a man, they don't know who he technically is, but they've got a feeling maybe that something's a little odd. They know that Jesus has been resurrected. They've seen him since he's been resurrected already. And they think, what the heck? What do I got to lose? And it says, they, catch, they cast therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. There were so many fish in the net, they couldn't get the net up into the boat. They started hauling it like, oh, this is heavier. Must be more boots than this one. Right, And they haul it up, and sure enough, there's a, a literal almost ton of fish. There's a ton of fish, hundreds of pounds of fish. Then 7 says, That, there, that disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, and I've I mentioned this to you before, that a lot of times in the book of John, when you hear that phrase, that disciple whom Jesus loved, you know that's usually talking, probably talking about John. They didn't normally name themselves and say, like, I said. It was very rare for that to happen, especially if it was something positive. They almost never did that because it would, it would be considered unhumble, and then people wouldn't read your writings. They would dismiss them. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, a pretty good uh, title, except we know Jesus loved all the disciples, but it just means that guy that was there, said to Peter, It is the Lord. So he, in his ecstatic recognition, suddenly says, It is the Lord. That's why there are so many fish. When there were no fish, there are so many fish now because it is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on for he was stripped for work and it was common for them to have an outer garment like a robe and then to strip that off and work and basically their undergarments would just would look like a a cloth wrapped towel, like a big man's diaper basically. And he was working in that as, as many of them probably were and he put it on and then he, he kind of ties it up because otherwise it interfere with your leg swim so he ties it around. It was typically tied up and pulled the strap tight and so now he looks like he's got a three times oversized under big man's diaper on and he throws himself into the water but the other disciples come in the little boat for they were not far from the lance. He really wasn't that far. There really was no reason to go through all that rigmarole and jump in the water and try to swim to shore and get there and be the first, Right? except if there's a reason why you might want to do that. The other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away. It's really not that far. Dragging the net full of fish. Here they come. They can't even get it in the boat. And Peter, of course, left them in that predicament. (laughs) You're stuck. I'm not. He jumped out of the boat, swam to shore. And so when they got out upon the land they saw a charcoal fire already laid. So it's it's just a coal fire that has been cooked down to being hot without having necessarily open flames. It's the best kind for cooking. And they saw fish already on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. So they were supposed to bring some of the fish from that that net. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish. So then he goes and helps the other disciples, and they, get it, they can't get it out of the boat because that's a vertical straight up over the ledge of the boat, but they can drag it up along the, the shore, you know, up onto the beach, and they do. They find it full of large fish. It says 153 fish. That's what they counted. There's been a lot made out of that phrase that there was 153 fish. You're like, first of all, why would they care? Well, of course you care. Like, there's no fish all night long. And then suddenly there's a ton of fish and we're like, someday someone's going to wonder how many fish. We're going to have to tell this tale someday. We better count or at least get a basic idea. And so somebody counted. And there were 153 large fish. Fishmen always
3: tell how many they
0: catch. Yeah, but usually they inflate the number. In this case, they didn't have to. Okay, So in this case, they didn't have to inflate the number because our salt was already large. And people are probably thinking, well, someday we're going to tell this tale and we're going to... Everybody's going to think we're inflating the number, but we don't want to inflate the number, so we all need to know an exact number and get our story straight, if you will. But anyway, they counted the fish. Also, there's a, a study called gamatria that people have done. Gematria means when you take letters and you use the numbers that they represent like code, but in the Greek language, all letters also represent numbers. So aota, which is the first uh, letter, represents a number, one. Right? and there are 24 numbers so it goes up to 24 or 24 letters it goes up to 24 and so people have tried to figure out what might the 153 fish represent and they found out that a number of key phrases an example might be uh, um, Cana of G for Galilee right? Cana of G which was where where Jesus completed his first ever miracle which was what shut your minds turn the water into wine at the wedding feast, right? So people said, well, did you know that the gematria value of Cana of G is 153? And so that was his first miracle, and this was essentially the the closing the backside miracle of that miracle, right? People found out that if you can make the feeding of the 5,000 using certain phrases, uh, certain Greek words, you can make the feeding of the 5,000 equal 153, but in order to do it, you have to misspell one word. So they say, well, if it was 157, it'd be exact. So they say, well, the original scribe, or maybe they miscounted the fish where it was actually 157, and this is just like the feeding of the 5,000. Right? so bottom, bottom line is people have studied the 153 I'm going to say to you that the number 153 may have some symbolic significance but I don't frankly care what I care about is what my Jesus is doing in this story what am I supposed to learn about the circumstances here and what am I supposed to do about it that's what I really care about I mean I want to know anything that God wants me to know but what I really want to know is God who am I in you what am I supposed to do and so on So he says, bring some of the fish. He goes to this net full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now there is another story over in the book of Luke where they had fished and he cast the net in, they got so many fish. There's a similar instance, which might also be why uh, John, if it was John, recognized Jesus because John was present at that instant. He said, cast the net in. But they hauled the, the nets out and the nets were breaking, there were so many fish. But here, despite the fact that there were 153 fish, and to draw similarities to the other instance, this net was not torn. A little further, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, he's already cooking, but probably not enough for everybody, necessarily. And they cook some more. And he's got something for them to eat, some bread and fish for them to eat, while they're waiting for the others to be cooked. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you, Lord, knowing that it was the Lord? Now, it's interesting that they make that mention, isn't it? Remember that when he appeared to them in the room, the upper room, they had a hard time believing it was him, even though they were seeing him with their own eyes, because of the joy that they were experiencing. The more joy you have in Christ at what God is doing in you, the more difficult it is sometimes to truly believe. It's like you have to divorce yourself of all reason. You have to move away from the logic and the step-by-step deduction that you got to get where you're at and instead go, well, I just believe because it's true. They kind of had a nagging question, who are you inside them? But they were dismissing that question despite the fact that it was there nagging at them. They were dismissing it because they knew. They knew, it says, that He was Jesus. Verse 13... Jesus came and took the bread and gave them and the fish likewise. And then it says in 14, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, that is a reference by John to the three stories that it was the, um, the three that he has shared. Okay? And he's not including the women. Right? But it's not the third actual chronological time necessarily. It's the third time that John has recorded. All right. So out of this text and these 14 verses here, I think there's a few kind of like almost poetic aspects of it. So first thing I want you to see is that they had to make the choice for, to going over. So they're in the boat thinking about coming ashore. They're with about 100 yards out. And he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll pull up a great harvest of fish. So they had to make the choice to do that. Having received useless advice, spectators over the years and even other fishermen who didn't know any better than they did how to throw a net in the water and haul up fish over the years, having received tons and tons of useless device, advice, having worked all through the night tirelessly, or really let's just say very tiredly probably all through the night, stripped to their man diapers, hauling in the nets all night long, and the sun starts to come up, and, and every hour of the night that passed, and every toss of the net... That was drawn back. They were in disbelief. They couldn't believe it. They were like, every t- How are we not catching any fish? Can this still be true? I've done this my whole life. My daddy taught me to do this when I was just a little boy. I've always put my trust in this skill, and now this skill is failing in me. My strength is failing in me. My intellect is failing in me. My experience is failing, in me. My experience is failing in me. My training is failing in me. It's all coming to naught in this moment, and I cannot believe that now here comes this stranger telling me that all I have have to do to be successful is what i have already done that's it all you have to do to be successful says the stranger on the shore is just cast the net again and he doesn't say that you might get a fish he says that you will get a harvest of fish a haul of fish you will get a net full of fish so I'm not saying, if now you're in the area where fish are and if you cast the net in, you'll get a few fish and you can cast it in a few more times and you're going to cast and haul and cast and haul and haul up 40, 50 fish to sell at market today so you all can have money for the next few days. That's not what he's saying. So you cast the net one more time, do it one more time, go over to the other side of the boat, which is no different from this side of the boat, and cast the net one more time and you'll get a haul of fish. They had to listen and know whether or not to accept this advice. That was a choice they had to make. There are many voices in the world. It happens that there are many people telling us how to do what we have already been doing. I'm a member of a pastor group on Facebook that's only open to SBC pastors, at least supposedly because there's some folks in there that that comment and even will say I'm not really technically an SBC pastor or whatever, but nobody's kicked them out of the group or that kind of thing. And, um, but anyway, they'll say, this is what our church is doing. And we're having this huge revival. Right? And you get down the list of the things they're doing. Guess what they're doing? They're preaching the Word like it's written. They're doing Bible study. They're sharing and giving and caring about each other, basically developing compassion amongst members. They're going out in the community, spreading the Word, inviting people to come to church. That's right. You're going to get down that list and you're going to find absolutely zero, nothing, nada, not a thing that we're not doing. Now, ironically, what you will find is that they're not doing a lot of things that we are doing. And the things that we are doing are similar things to the kind of things they're doing. A lot of community sharing, outreach, like that kind of thing. Well, we do it, and we maybe even do it more actively or more creatively or more aggressively than they do. And yet, at times... Like, well, I'm just going to be transparent. There never been a time, never been a time where our numbers swole from 50 to 250 in a month or in three months. But they'll get on the group and they'll say, well, this is what we're doing and it's working. Just do this. Like the fisherman who says, you go to the fisherman and say, well, what kind of fly bait are you using there? Well, I've got this kind. Well, that's the exact same kind I have. What kind of rod you got? Same kind of rod I got. Same kind of, What kind of reel you got? Same kind of reel you got. I'm like literally three feet away from you in the water and you've caught seven fish in the last hour and I've caught none. And it begins to not make any sense. Why would you keep putting your rod in the water? Why would you keep doing the same things that you need to do? And Jesus says, just do this and it'll work. And you look at you, well that that is the thing that we're doing. That is exactly what we're doing. But they had to have the will and the desire to go over to the right side of the boat and do that backwards. It should be go over to the right side of the boat or your right side is over here, right? Go over to the right side of the boat and throw the net in. again. They had the will to do it again, the very same thing that they already knew would work, should work, but didn't. And all the voices that are in the world are trying to tell you that there is another way, a better way, something different, short-circuit it, pervert it a little bit, strain it, change it, make it different. I am doing nothing different today than I have done for the last 15 years. I have studied the Word. I'm bringing to you what I feel like the Holy Spirit has convicted me to share. It is the third sermon that I wrote this week in preparation for today. And the other two are now sitting out. In two weeks, I've written three sermons that I've not preached because I I wrote them and the Lord says, I want you to see this. And then He says, now go write the sermon for Sunday. And so here I am preaching to you what the Lord God shared with me. It's written on this piece of paper. I'm not doing anything different than I've been doing for over a decade. Yet to me this word spoke to me so powerfully that it's it is in a way different. Are you willing to go over to the other side of the boat and do again today what it is that Jesus has called you to? do? but I, I don't have enough friends. I don't have enough money. My health's not quite right. I'm struggling in my relationships. If I say the right thing, they'll do what I want them to do. And if I don't say the right thing, they won't do. I've got to manipulate them or otherwise I've got to be angry and upset in order to get people to listen to me. None of that is true. If you warp it, if you change it, if you twist it, if you've already warped it, changed it, or twisted it, then you're not even talking about doing the same thing you've been doing. You need to Repent and begin to do the right things. But if you haven't done that, and now you're you're contemplating, you're tempted you say, "Well, I can walk away from that which God has called me to do and do this." About twelve years ago, I realized that I was frustrated with what I was doing, and the Lord. At first, we thought the Lord was going to move us out of state, and then the Lord said, "No, you're going to stay and do what you're doing." And I'm like, "Okay, we're going to do what we're doing. That's fine. We're just going to do what we're doing." And I was frustrated. I was like, man, God, it's you know, like beating my head against a brick wall of preaching and teaching and serving and being in the church and it's not moving. It's not taking off. But I hear about people who they have their launch Sunday, which we didn't use a launch model. We have a launch Sunday that 300 people come and then in six months they have 150 come but those 150 stick. We've never had 150 people and all these pastors online what are they doing? They're nothing but preaching the word, teaching, serving, all the same things. And I'm like, Lord, it just doesn't seem to... And, I was, and this is what I said to myself. I said, self, you can go somewhere else. You can teach Sunday school. You can preach pulpit supply you know you will never stop preaching and teaching the Word because that's what you're called to. But maybe you just don't have to do it here. Maybe you just don't have to be the pastor for New Heights. Maybe they're pushing for something and you're yielding your will and your desire to these people rather than to God. So you could just walk away from doing what you're doing and go over here instead. And in whatever church you wind up in, you're going to be teaching and preaching the Gospel. So if that's your calling is to teach and preach the Gospel, you're not going to miss out on that. You're not not going to abandon God. You're just going to do it in a different way than what God told you to do it. And the sound of silence. And as you can see, I didn't do it. I almost did it. I debated with myself, asked my wife. I talked to her about it. In fact, we've had that conversation a couple of times. I want to say to you that there is nothing more exhausting for me personally, and I'm being transparent, than to preach the Word of God the way it's written and see people not living it by my estimation. And I always have to curb myself, and I understand that's my flesh. I understand that can be sinful if you're judging whether people are doing it or not, whatever. I understand it's a very dangerous road. But for me to preach the Gospel the way it's written and see people not living it out the way it's written, even in a body of 40, 50, 60 people, that is exhausting. You say, I get it because I'm doing what it is I think I'm supposed to do it, and I'm looking at other Christians, and I don't think they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it's exhausting for me to continue doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing in the Lord when I see other people who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Just look at the world for a minute. It's exhausting to live the way we have been called to live, to do the thing that we've been called to do while we live amongst people who are prospering for their wickedness. young 17-year-old millionaires who are on TikTok flirting with their skin flashing. And now they're millionaires. All because they were willing to show more than they ever should have been showing in the first place. And because there's freakish people who are willing to watch them over and over and over again do seven-second dances enough that they can get advertisement and now they're making a million dollars a year or whatever because they're willing to walk a road of wickedness. And before you say, well, that couldn't be me anyway because ain't nobody attractive in this room that could do that. We have have girls in this room who are going to be tempted to do that. You're going to be tempted to do that. Because wickedness is prospering them. They're getting ahead. Startup businesses, side incomes, leaving behind my job for another job that will pay more. And we as Christians, we're asked to switch our course, go over and do the very same things that we were already doing. And if you can honestly say, I'm not really studying my Bible, then you're asked to study your Bible because that's what you were commanded to do in the first place. And you say, I'm not really telling anybody about Jesus. We are asked to go over and tell people about Jesus. But nobody's going to get saved. You don't get to decide that. You're called to go over and do the things that you were already called by God, by Jesus to do and to do them again today. Will it sometime look like insanity? Yes, it very well might sometime look like insanity. In fact, to the reasoning world, to those who are applying their estimation of what you should be doing, most of them are probably looking at you going, "What are you nuts? You give 13% of your your income into the church service. You do that every uh, every paycheck, you do all the time. You give 13% or 15 or 18 or 10 even." You could give five, they'd still think you're crazy. You do that consistently. What are you getting for that? What is your advantage for that? How are you getting ahead? Do you have more money in your checking account? No, I don't have more money in my checking account because I do that. But probably you actually do, but it's not not that the world would see it or that you could see it mathematically. It requires faith. And then you exercise your faith and you do the things that you do. Like RJ said earlier today, Without faith, our works are dead. If you're doing the things that God would call you, if you're already gone over, then you're not going to have any benefit for the kingdom, any benefit for God, any benefit for, for you spiritually. But if you're doing them because it's what God wants you to do, it's because you believe in the Lord, you trust in the Lord, and you're waiting on the Lord. If you're going over again, you know, I wonder, I wonder what would have happened if he'd, if they, he'd have said, go over oh, to the right side of the boat, put the net in, and you'll get a haul of fish. And, they, and they'd have put it in and now I got any fish. And then a minute later, if he'd have said, Now go to the left side and put it in and you'll get fish. Would they have had the strength? Would they have had the endurance? Could they have stayed the course and I'm getting ahead of myself? Would they have done it again? I submit to you, I believe they would have done it again. And they'd have put it on the left and got no fish, and then the right and got no fish, and the left and got no fish, and the right and got no fish, and they'd have went until sundown. If they knew it was Jesus telling them, they'd have went until sundown, left and right and left and right. And finally hauled in that giant load of fish because they knew it was Jesus and He was asking them to go over and do it again. You're like, well, I used to study my Bible a lot. Go over and do it again. I used to pray a lot. Go over and do it again. The very same things that God said would provide fruit almost 2,000 years ago, wait a minute, it was before Jesus was ever born, so 5,000 years ago, the very same things that God said would provide fruit, will provide fruit today. If you want to be with the Lord, taken care of by the Lord, if you want to abide in the Lord and He and you, you will go over and do the very same things that God called you to do before. Secondly, they had to go on. And as I said, I got a little ahead of myself. They had to continue. They were pressed to continue after they were already tired and had done so much of what they thought they were supposed to be doing. They had to go on. You've got to go on. My goodness, Jesus talks about going on. So many texts about going on. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 25. Is it 25 or 24? I'll let you know in one second. But you can head that way. <clears throat> it is 24. There we go. Matthew 24, verse 6. I'll start in. No particular reason. It's, this, is the, this is a discourse of Jesus. And Jesus is speaking. And he says, And you will be hearing of wars and rumor of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and in various places there will be famines, that means going without food, and earthquakes, you know what that is. But all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. That's pretty rough stuff right there. That the disciples of Jesus, which would include us, will be killed and hated by all nations on account of Jesus' name. And at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and they will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Wait for it, right here. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. We'll read one more verse, and it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. I get it. There is every kind of fear and rumor of fear. There is every kind of reason to surrender, to give up. There's every kind of reason to be distracted. We are right now just in our house in a raging debate, praying. It's not really a debate, it's more like just how to get it done at this point, a, a programming session, a thinking, plotting session, how we're going to get it done to get rid of some of the influences of Satan, of the evil spirits of the world system that have infiltrated our house. And it's like, oh, you got your stuff all together, Pastor. you got no problems like that. Oh, yes I do. We all do. And you should be thinking about what hooks does Satan and the world system have in your home. You want your home to be a place of peace, a place where you can serve God and continue continue You on to the end, ask yourself, what have you allowed to influence you? What voices are telling you that you can stray slightly off course and still everything will be okay? Grace was not designed to cover your stupidity. Grace was designed to cover your sin. God's no fool. You shall reap what you sow. They had to go on. They had to go on after they were tired. They had to go on after their minds would say, the effort is spent, it's over, it's done. They had to go on. And you could be there. If you're not there today, you will be there sometime in your Christian walk. If you've been there before and you went on after that, then you know what today is like. You say, well, I've been there before and I'm there again today. Then you already know what to do. You go on. You do again What you were already told to do in the first place, it might not be a bad idea to question yourself to find out as you feel like you're so tired and fatigued or you feel like you're so wore out, you feel like you can't go on. Ask yourself, are you even doing the things that you're supposed to be doing or have those things been pushed aside by the things that you want to do or the world has led you to do or the straying teachings and distractions of the enemy have brought you to do? Are you truly doing that which it is that God would have you to do? We have workers. We have people who work. We have shares, We have servers. We have compassionate people in our church. And they are going about doing the things that they feel like they are supposed to do. I submit to you it is entirely possible that you will begin to do things that you think are for the Lord and can prosper the kingdom that were never yours to do in the first place. And you might check yourself and go, I'm running out of steam. I'm at the end of my rope. I've got next to nothing. I don't know how to keep this... It's become insanity, not Christianity. And when it's become insanity, not Christianity, you give up, give out, give in, and quit. You say, all those times you said I would never quit on Jesus. All those times you said I will always stick with Jesus and do the things that Jesus would have me to do. When you get to the moment in time where He's asking you to go on, it just could be that you already left Him that you already walked away and began to do things, good things that you like and enjoy and that have filled your life and you may have to go, no, I, I said I would never allow those things, those good things, to press out the good things that Jesus commanded. And Jesus is saying to you, read your Bible and pray and serve and give and love the other believers. I mean, show up for them. Face to face. Talk to them. Compassionate. Lift them up. Encourage them. Work with them. Bear their burdens as they bear yours. Blend your life together with the community of God. Those are the command. of Jesus. They're not suggestions. It's not one way you can live for Jesus. It's the only way you can live for Jesus. And you got to the point where there were other things, important things, good things, maybe even somewhat godly things. And those things began to press out the basics. And now someone would walk right up to you and they would say, what must I do to be saved? And you would go, "Uh, well, uh, Come to church with me on Sunday. Or you re- you to ask that question. You really need to talk to my pastor because he knows the answer to that question. Or you'd give over those re- responsibilities over to somebody like Tony Tate who has his own issues, right? Probably, I think he would willingly say more than most, and yet you'd go, but he's fine. We can trust the gospel of God, the soul of that person over to him because he's willing to speak up. Messed up as he is, he can speak up. I'm not so messed up, but I'm not willing to speak up. Are you hearing the logic that we're following as we are not going on doing what it is that Jesus would have us to do? Where does it come from? It's older than you are. It's older than any of us in this room. It's older than all of us in this room combined. Because it was present in the Garden of Eden. All Adam had to do. All Adam and Eve had to do was just go on tending the garden even. But see, day in or out or whatever, they're they tending the garden and thinking, you know, what's this really getting us? <laughs> you know, we're going to have all these kids and going to be healthy, safe. Another day, walk with God in coolness of the garden. I do enjoy that time we have with Him. But now here is something. This fruit is good like all the other fruits, but now I see it may also be beneficial for wisdom. Well, God never said we were going to eat of the fruit. He only just said we could tend the fruit. Well, of course we want to be like God. Everybody should want to be like God. God's a good guy. So, we just eat of the fruit. Fear of the Lord? No. God is too good. He wouldn't destroy us for that. No fear. And it goes back to the beginning and it's been with man ever since. And we do the same things. Instead of going on doing what it is we should have been doing or going over and doing it in a slightly different way but it's the thing that God wants us to do the way He wants us to do it. We allow our thought processes our choices to be invaded by the teachings of the enemy. If you're following along in your Bible, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's in the T's. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse 10. So, you get there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10. It says this says, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. In other words, there is a basic process by which we're supposed to live. You need to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, then you can reap the rewards for that. And it's as simple as if you won't work, you shouldn't eat. But he's saying that because, in verse 11, he says, for because we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. In other words, you're not being intentional about doing the things you're supposed to do. Doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. You've always got something to say about everything, but you're not doing anything about anything that really matters. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. In other words, you do your work, earn your keep, and take care of yourself. 13, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. See, it doesn't matter whether or not those people who were being busybodies, those people who were stirring up trouble and not actually doing what they're supposed to be doing, it doesn't matter whether they were going to start doing what they're supposed to be doing, whether they're going to start working and earning their keep, whether they're going to haul their load or not, he says, but as for you, you don't grow weary in doing good. Now, that's assuming you're doing good. If you're doing good, don't grow weary in doing good. Verse 14, it says, And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. And yet, do not regard him as an enemy. So even if they will not take our direction, even if they will not start to do the things they're supposed to do, don't regard him as an enemy, but admonish him, that means correct him, encouraging him, as a brother. You got a problem with somebody in the church that ain't ain't know what they're supposed to be doing? Then you go to them and correct them and admonish them and encourage them as a brother or a sister. If you've ever been corrected or admonished as a brother or sister, you need to realize that the person who corrected you is probably the person in this world who loves you the most. This whole concept of if they leave me alone, they love me, and let me do what I want, then they love me, that isn't true. The person who won't correct you doesn't love you at all. Or at least they're too busy doing something else to love you right now. That the person who would come to you and correct you and encourage you and admonish you, meaning set you on the right course, loves you so much. Zoe will throw a fit because she's not allowed to play with something she's not allowed to play with. But I submit to you that she never doubts for one second the great emotion that exists between her and her mother when her mother's picking her up and carrying her away from what she so desires to play with. You need to understand that the person who corrects you probably loves you more than anybody else. But even if your correction is not heard, even if your correction is lost on deaf ears, you are not to grow weary. You are supposed to be continuing to do the basic things that you were given to do. Those we talk about calling spiritual disciplines. We talk about exercising our spiritual gifts. We talk about being the church, loving one another. We're supposed to be doing that which we are called to do. You say it looks like insanity, not Christianity. That's because you have allowed the reason of the world to creep into your thought processes, Will the Son of Man find faithfulness on the earth? It is largely going to be determined by the fact whether or not we have faith. If we have faith, we will be full of nis. When somebody else comes and tries to give you another nis, you'll say, that's not my nis. I just want my faithfulness. And then third, so first of all, it was about going over. Secondly, about going on. And then third, they had to go in. They had to go in. I love how they went in, don't you? I mean, Peter girds himself up in his giant man diaper robe thing that he tied all around his waist and got it up in between his legs so he could swim and jumps off the boat and swims 100 yards in his clothes, soaking wet and heavy. Surely without his sandals to get to Jesus. It's the same one who said at the dinner the, day be- the night before uh, Jesus' crucifixion, he said, Lord, I go with you. I'm with you. I will not abandon you no matter what, even if I will be crucified even if I would be destroyed. And Jesus said, no, actually you'll deny me three times before it's through. The one whom Jesus loved, the one whom Jesus laid back on at that same dinner, He thought, it's fish. He's fishing in in the boat. No fish all night long. Fish in the boat. Stranger on the shore. Jesus is resurrected. A plus B plus C equals... Oh, it's the Lord! And Peter's like, yeah, alright, I'm out of here. Are you following Jesus? Are you following somebody's idea of Jesus? Do you not understand that Jesus the Christ was God the Son? He was God in the flesh. Nothing was created except that which was created through Him. He was the living Word. While there is the spoken Word and the written Word, He was the living Word. Jesus! Don't run to your pastor or your church. Run to your Jesus the next time you're hurting. You've got to go in. You've got to. There's going to come a time when going into Jesus is all that's left. And if you're not willing to go into Jesus now, you may not be willing to go into Jesus then. And that would be a pretty scary situation, wouldn't it? If the only road left to you that's healthy and hopeful, that gives you anything, is responding to Jesus' call, when He calls, you better be in the habit of it. That's a muscle you had better train. And to do that, you're going to have to get out of your head some other ideas, some other controversial things. Think, well, I could just do this for a while and then come back to Jesus. Oh my gosh, the world is such a crazy place. How can we keep just going on like, like it's the same as it was yesterday? It's not. How can we still meet for worship on 1130 on Sunday mornings when we know that there might be people who walk in our building and try to blow some people away? How can we still meet for worship and praise when the war over political ideologies is so rampant in America? How can we not how can we keep our eyes focused on what Jesus taught when there are so many things that we need to know and learn about what's going on in the world in the political arena and what might be dangerous to us? Do you understand that in the Ukraine right now in the middle of war, churches to this day, to this Sunday right here with bombs going off and whatever have continued to meet for worship and prayer and actually extended their worship times more the churches that have, the buildings have been blown up and are gone they're meeting in subway stations and underground basements and wherever they can find and they're cramming people in as much as they can and their numbers have grown do we need a war in the United States of America to reach people for Jesus or are we just going to do it because it's what he told us to do they are worshipping still we're talking about oh, i don't know, can we worship for when we're in COVID and praise God we did but a lot of folks did a lot of churches gave it up, they didn't go on, they didn't continue to go in, they decided not to go over and do it again, some of them even decided not to worship God and meet because they were afraid that that would be a bad witness to people they were trying to reach. Serving Jesus unfailingly, serving Jesus without stopping is never going to be a bad witness. It's always going to be just exactly what you were supposed to do in the first place. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 29. We were here before, we're back again. And then we're in the conclusion. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 29. It says this about the second coming of Jesus. Matthew 24, verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. I don't, don't miss the fact that all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the signs of the coming of Jesus. I suppose we had better not be in that number mourning when they see the signs. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together His elect from the four winds. That is to say, those whom God has chosen for Himself. The ones that God chose. And and whether or not you have responded to the Gospel is the primary qualifier. He will gather together the elect from the four winds. From one end of the earth to the other. Now skip down to verse 35 he says, heaven and earth will pass away. That means every single thing you could possibly ever experience while you are alive will pass away. But my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows. No one knows exactly when it's going to happen. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Before it. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. We'll go a little further in a second, just two more verses. I want you to understand that because it sometimes looks like insanity, the world will decide not to go over and do it again. Because it sometimes looks like insanity, the world will decide not to go on and persevere and not grow weary in doing good. <coughs> because it looks like, sometimes it looks like insanity when everything starts to fall apart, and it will, the world will find all kinds of systems and other methods to stick close to what they appreciate, their money, their time, their talents, their sex, their drugs, their rock and roll, their alcohol, whatever, you know. Whatever they appreciate. Many of those things are not bad things, by the way. But the bottom line is, they'll put that first before God in that moment. That'll be their sustenance. Someone, when the the horn sounds to announce the coming of Jesus and people are mourning all the world over, someone will crank their music. When the horn sounds to announce the coming of Jesus and all the world over, someone will snort a little bit of Coke to feel better about that instant. When the horn sounds and Jesus is coming and all the world over mourns at His approach someone will punch a time clock. When the horn sounds to announce the coming of Jesus and all the world over, and His approach is obvious, someone will grab the TV remote. Someone will pull their children to them for one last hug. Someone will look longingly at their wife or their husband. Someone will stop to sniff a rose going, yeah, I always knew I should have done that and never did it for 50 years, and they'll stop and just get one sniff in before they go to hell. They don't understand. They don't understand implies that there are those who do understand. You know who did understand? Noah and his family in the ark, having, wait for it, built an ark, an ark, and allowed the animals to come and filled it and stored up the feed and everything else on dry ground, on a planet, on which a drop of rain had never fallen. That's not fishing all night and getting no fish. That's fishing for months and getting no fish. And yet he built the ark. And then the rain began. And God himself shut the door. And it will be like that in the day when Jesus comes again. Don't let it be like that in the day when Jesus comes again for you. Choose to be like Noah and build the ark. Choose to be like his family and trust my words. Choose to be like God's people and follow God and do what it is that God would have us to do. Going over again to do what we were supposed to do in the first place. Going on to continue doing the things that we're supposed to be doing despite all that's falling apart around us. Going into Jesus over and over again and every time He beckons and every time He calls and every time He makes Himself available, which is basically all day, every day. Abiding in the Lord. Verse 40 says this. He says, then. There shall be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one will be left. There is a dividing line in the sand and it has nothing to do with what you're doing on a day-by-day basis. It has to do with if you will respond affirmatively when your commander-in-chief, when the Lord of the universe, when the creator of all things, for the purchaser of your soul, the one who bought you back from the dead, when he calls, will you come? And these things, all of this that's around us, including all those idiots that try to tell you you've got to be one thing or another, all of that was given for us to enjoy. And we laugh. And we enjoy. But we do so all the while going, When Jesus calls, I will be ready. And you do that. By going over and doing what you were supposed to do in the first place. By going on doing what you know to be right in the Lord. And by going in daily when He calls. It may look like insanity to those who don't know Jesus. But if you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you He hath quickened, you He hath made alive by grace, through faith, then you know He's nobody to be trifled with. The Scripture says that some, having believed in the Lord, returned to their wicked ways. Hebrews says that, how will God treat those who knew and then trampled the Son of God again? And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Ours is a relationship with the living Christ. Because he is alive, because he died for you, you now live for him who died for you. Because you are alive in Christ, all old things have passed away and everything has become made new. And you can partake in lots of things that go on in the world, but none of them can ever be important. He said, But what about my kids? What about my family members? What about my loved ones? None of them can ever be important compared to Jesus. Elsewise, if I am in my house one day dodging my little Roomba vacuum cleaner and Jesus calls and Ariana calls at the same time, which call will I answer? Be careful. It's so easy to fall in love with the things of this life. But we are asked to go over again and do the things that He's called us to. To go on doing what we're supposed to do. To go in to Him. To recognize Him. To want to be the first. Not because we despise anyone else, but because this I know. I belong with Him. To the point that I'll wrap up my man diaper and jump in the water and swim 100 yards to get to be with Jesus. Jesus. In the Old Testament, there's a story in the book of Ezra. The Israelites have come home, uh, some of them. It's estimated that less than 20% of the people who were carried off in captivity ever came back into the land. And one of those two times was led by a man named Ezra. He was basically a priest, and they were going to reinstitute under Cyrus. Uh, He gave them permission and offered resources and everything to go back and reinstitute temple worship in Jerusalem. So they come back and they settle in the land around Jerusalem. There's no walls to Jerusalem. The city is unprotected. So it's regularly abused. There's no temple anymore. The land is there. But it's just, everything's in ruin. And they say, well, we know why we're here. But they settle down. They're starting to get ready. They're, they're building their houses or whatever. They've you know, you got a, you know, tents, tabernacles, whatever they needed to, to be ready to live so that they could start building. And then they look out and they see all around them in the land are all these enemies. Enemies that have been... I don't use this term lightly, but it's a reality, but enemies that have been raping Jerusalem on a regular basis. And all are looking at them and they're like, ah, what is this all about? And they look out at those enemies and they realize, okay, now we are in danger. We are in danger of quitting. We are in danger of our mission failing. We are in danger of not having enough. We are in danger of being eliminated. They, will, they could come in here and they could kill us. We are in danger of failing in our mission. Cyrus gave us the resources and the manpower and sent us out here and let us go back to our home. But we are in danger of not doing what God wants us to do. And they have to make a decision, a battle plan. They have to decide what to do as they're sitting in a city, Jerusalem, with no defenses, very limited weaponry, no walls, no siege engines, no trenches to keep the enemy at bay, no picket fences, right? And they look out and the enemy is surrounding them. All these different peoples that have, been, that have been storming Jerusalem for decades. Over half a century. And they're like, what do we do? And so you know what they did? They built the temple. They did what God sent them to do. They turned their back on their enemies and they built the temple. They collected the supplies. They focused their building at first on the sacrificial area, and the truth is, that the building got stopped before the foundation was ever laid. But the sacrificial area, they built it, and they began sacrificing to God. When you go in, you will find the strength to go over and go on. When you go in, God will purify that in you that is right now corrupted. When you go in, God will show up and make happen what He said He was going to do through you. If you won't go in, you will eventually quit going over, quit going on. You will back down off of some of the things you know that the Lord would have you do. And I submit to you, you will be in severe danger of not answering that call when the time comes. And he who doesn't answer the call never really got saved in the first place. Go over, go on, and go in. The next time you're faced with a real problem, start in your Bible, start in prayer, start in worship. Turn your music up, but not because you just love loud music, but because you're praising God. And if you go in, you'll go over. And if you go over, you'll go on. I mean, seriously, once you've hauled up one net load of fish, 153 fish, once one time, you've seen God do amazingly in your life, and I hope you've already seen it, but once you've done that, why would you ever back down? If God is the only one that can do that, why would you ever back down? The next time you face an enemy, a trial, or a difficulty, go into Jesus and get the strength to go over Maybe do it a little differently, but do the things you're supposed to do, and to go on doing what it was you were supposed to be doing from the beginning. If you're waiting for me to give you a rocket science recipe on how to be a great person, how to become more intellectual, how to make yourself more beautiful or more healthy, it ain't gonna happen. I'm not that kind of preacher. I preach the word of God, and God calls us into Him. Go in to Jesus. If you're here today and you've never seen God do that kind of miracle in your life, you've never seen God transform somebody's soul, somebody's heart, then you need to admit it, admit that you're separated from God. You need to believe that He'll save you and commit your life to following Him today and get saved for the first time. If you're here today and you've been saved, but you've been unwilling to go over and do, it, do that one thing that God is really calling you to do, Because you say, well, this other stuff isn't working so well, so why would that work any better? Have you been unwilling to go on because you've been doing it over and over again? You feel like you're doing it. You feel like you're faithful, but you've discovered in yourself a lack of endurance, and you're ready to quit? Go into Jesus and let Him give you the strength to continue and persevere in what it is that He called you to. I ask the praise team to come forward at this time and lead us in a hymn of... Uh, really kind of like closing our services but also to him name of invitation if you happen to be here today and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this is the opportunity to make that public decision to do that and if you're here today and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior but you realize you've not been going on doing the things that he would have you to do or you've been going on doing those things but distracted unwilling to do them in the way and he's now calling you to do it then you commit your life to him and you follow him and you do what he would have you to do but it isn't about me. I'm not imploring you for my sake. I've already wrestled with this. And I'm already looking at places where i have not gone over and done the things that I was supposed to do. And I'm already looking at things that maybe I'm not going on to do. And I'm repenting in my own life. I'm asking you to do the same for your sake and for Jesus' sake. As we sing this song, if you stand with us and sing, and if you're responding in some way you don't have to sing, you just come and share with us what's on your heart today. How God has called you to go over or to go on.